section 19 of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of St. Matthew by J. C. Ryle. Chapter 7, verses 21 to 29. Uselessness of Profession Without Practice. The Two Builders. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A recording by Marianne. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 29. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. The Lord Jesus winds up the Sermon on the Mount by a passage of heart-piercing application. He turns from false prophets to false professors, from unsound teachers to unsound hearers. Here is a word for all. May we have grace to apply it to our own hearts. The first lesson here is the uselessness of a mere outward profession of Christianity. Not every one that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Not all that profess and call themselves Christian shall be saved. Let us take notice of this. It requires far more than most people seem to think necessary to save a soul. We may be baptized in the name of Christ, and boast confidently in our ecclesiastical privileges. We may possess head-knowledge, and be quite satisfied with our own state. We may even be preachers and teachers of others, and do many wonderful works in connection with our church. But all this time are we practically doing the will of our Father in heaven, do we truly repent, truly believe on Christ, and live holy and humble lives? If not, in spite of all our privileges and profession, we shall miss heaven at last, and be forever cast away. We shall hear those awful words, I never knew you, depart from me. The day of judgment will reveal strange things. The hopes of many who were thought great Christians while they lived will be utterly confounded. The rottenness of their religion will be exposed and put to shame before the whole world. It will then be proved that to be saved means something more than making a profession. We must make a practice of our Christianity as well as a profession. Let us often think of that great day. Let us often judge ourselves that we be not judged and condemned by the Lord. Whatever else we are, let us aim at being real true and sincere. 
The second lesson here is a striking picture of two classes of Christian hearers, those who hear and do nothing, and those who hear and do as well as hear, are both placed before us, and their histories traced to their respective ends. The man who hears Christian teaching and practices what he hears is like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. He does not content himself with listening to exhortations to repent, believe in Christ, and live a holy life. He actually repents. He actually believes. He actually ceases to do evil, learns to do well, abhors that which is sinful, and cleaves to that which is good. He is a doer as well as a hearer. James chapter 1, verse 22. And what is the result? In the time of trial his religion does not fail him. The floods of sickness, sorrow, poverty, and disappointments, bereavements, beat upon him in vain. His soul stands unmoved. His faith does not give way. His comforts do not utterly forsake him. His religion may have cost him trouble in time past. His foundation may have been obtained with much labor and many tears. To discover his own interest in Christ may have required many a day of earnest seeking, and many an hour of wrestling in prayer. But his labor has not been thrown away. He now reaps a rich reward. The religion that can stand trial is the true religion. The man who hears Christian teaching, and never gets beyond hearing, is like a foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. He satisfies himself with listening and approving, but he goes no further. He flatters himself, perhaps, that all is right with his soul, because he has feelings, and convictions, and desires of a spiritual kind. In these he rests. He never really breaks off from sin, and casts aside the spirit of the world. He never really lays hold on Christ. He never really takes up the cross. He is a hearer of truth, but nothing more. And what is the end of this man's religion? It breaks down entirely under the first flood of tribulation. It fails him completely, like a summer-dried fountain, when his need is the sorest. It leaves its possessor high and dry, like a wreck on a sandbank, a scandal to the church, a byword to the infidel, and a misery to himself. Most true is it that what costs little is worth little. A religion which costs us nothing, and consists in nothing but hearing sermons, will always prove at last to be a useless thing. So ends the Sermon on the Mount. Such a sermon never was preached before. Such a sermon perhaps has never been preached since. Let us see that it has a lasting influence on our own souls. It is addressed to us as well as to those who first heard it. We are they who shall have to give an account of its heart-searching lessons. It is no light matter what we think of them. The word that Jesus has spoken, the same shall judge us in the last day. John chapter 12 and verse 48 End of section 19